Welcome to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. We're a church in Gahanna, Ohio, that exists to help people find and follow God. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you discover how much God really loves you. Makes me want to play some football, you know? Fired up. Welcome to Three Creeks. My name is Joel Trainer, and I get to be the pastor here. And if you are a part of the family, it's great to see you. And if you're new and just checking things out, or you're from out of town or whatever, we're just so excited you're here. Thanks for joining us. Uh, I'm going to just get to share a little bit uh, of a, a little bit of an intro message to this series called Creatively Moses. For six weeks, we're going to talk about this guy named Moses. I was talking to a few people this week who didn't really grow up in church and who wouldn't be as familiar with the Bible. And I just said, what do you know about Moses? And Moses kind of transcends even church. It kind of, he works himself into culture. And I said, what do you know about Moses? And they said, oh, the guy, the Red Sea. I said, yeah, that's the guy. And they said, the Ten Commandments. And I said, yeah, that's the guy. And I said, the, uh, they said, the ten plagues. And I said, yeah, that's the guy. And then I just thought about it. I go, man, those three individual stories are just a small percentage of, of the impact that this man had at the beginning of the Bible. Moses actually wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The first five books of the Bible, Pentateuch, or the Torah. That's what those books are called. And Moses wrote them. So he's an author, and he's a military leader, and he's a lawgiver, and he's, he's a big deal. And, uh, and as I was, I was thinking about what I'm going to share today, and as we were singing that song, Christ Be Magnified, a couple minutes ago, you know, something came to my mind, and I just thought I'd share it right before I get started into Moses. It's that in this Bible, there are 66 books. There's an Old Testament, and there's a New Testament. There's 27 books in the New Testament, and in the New Testament, there's a lot about Jesus. The whole thing's about Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, the first chapter of the New Testament, is about Jesus. But in the Old Testament, the 39 books preceding the book of Matthew, it's essentially the story of the world before Jesus was born. In all 39 books, you don't see the name of Jesus. And yet, we're singing in this room, Christ be magnified. And in, in every worship song we sing, I hope, in some way we're pointing towards Jesus Christ, somebody who's not mentioned in the first 39 books of the Bible. And I, and I need you to understand this morning that even in those 39 books, the ones that don't include the name of Jesus, every single story in the Bible whispers his name. Even if it doesn't say his name, it whispers it. And as we look at the person of Moses, who preceded Jesus by 12 or 1300 years, the story of Moses whispers his name, the name of Jesus. The, uh, Luke, Luke mentioned it a second ago when he was introducing the new series that we did a series called Heroes You Haven't Heard Of for the last nine weeks. This series could be titled this, The Hero That You Probably Have Heard Of. We're talking about one of the big hitters. This guy, like I mentioned already, 
there's a lot about his life that you may know, even though you haven't gone to church or learned a lot about Moses. You've probably just picked up pieces along the way. He is, uh, he's kind of like Abraham Lincoln plus Martin Luther King Jr. plus Winston Churchill plus the Pope plus J.K. Rowling, the author, plus Antonin Scalia, all wrapped up in one. I mean, this guy is a big deal in the Old Testament. He was the hero of the Hebrew people because the Hebrew people, when Moses comes on the scene, have been slaves in Egypt. It is a, Egypt is a superpower. They've been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And your boy Moses is the one who comes along and leads the Hebrew people to physical freedom from the oppression of Egypt. Moses is the guy who meets on top of a mountain, Mount Sinai with God, and God gives him the law, gives him the Ten Commandments, and Moses comes back down and gives it to the people. When Moses died, when Moses died, God had to make sure that they hid Moses' bones because he was afraid that the people would dig up Moses' bones and worship them. Moses is a big deal. And the last thing that's written about Moses in those five books, the end of Deuteronomy chapter 34, it summarizes Moses' life. It's kind of an obituary. It says this, no one, no one has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one, no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did. Nobody did it like Moses did in the sight of all of Israel's, of all of Israel. He's a big deal. So when Moses was giving his final sermons to all these people that were worshiping him, probably a lot of them to a fault, when Moses was giving his final sermon, he said something to them that really would have surprised them. They, when he said it, they, they would have done a double take. Wait a minute. What did Moses just say? And they trusted him enough to write it down and they, they trusted Moses enough. God had done so much through Moses that they took him at his word. He was probably right. He was, the, he was the way that God was communicating to the people and everything that Moses was saying was coming to be true. But it really would have surprised them. And before I share what Moses said, I want to try to give you a flyover of Moses' life so that when I explain what he said that would have surprised the people, you might also go, yeah, that would have been surprising. So let me tell you about Moses' life. I'm going to try to summarize four giant books of the Bible in four minutes. So you ready? Good luck to me. Here we go. So in 1400 BC, 3,400 years ago-ish, Egypt is a superpower. Egypt is, is the superpower nation of the world. And some of you guys know this story, but Joseph, the coat of many colors, Joseph, ends up leading his whole family to Egypt because there was a famine where Joseph's family was living. And so his dad and all of his brothers, there's actually 70 of them, they moved to Egypt 
And at the time, Joseph, even though he's a Hebrew, he ascends, he's Pharaoh's right-hand man, he's got a lot of power. Well, the Israelites, or, or Joseph's family, begin to multiply, and multiply, and multiply, and multiply. There's hundreds of them, thousands of them, turns out to be millions of them. So there's probably two million Israelites, and Egypt has four million Egyptians, but after a couple generations of people, there's a new Pharaoh in town. The new Pharaoh in town doesn't even know who Joseph was. And so rather than seeing the Hebrew people as a people to protect and to honor and to cherish, he sees them as a threat. The Israelites, there's too many of them right now. And so he enslaves all of the Israelites for 400 years. The Israelite people are slaved captives in bondage in Egypt. And then this evil Pharaoh, because the population continues to grow, comes up with an evil plan that every baby that is male that is born should be killed. Every male infant born in the whole country is to be, every, of the Hebrews is to be killed so that we can curb this population boom that the Hebrews are trying to get going. Well, one male infant that is born during that time is Moses. Jochebed, Moses' mom, has a baby in her house, keeps the baby quiet enough that nobody catches the fact that she just had a baby boy, begins to raise Moses, isn't going to be able to keep doing it because at some point Moses is going to be exposed. I don't know how she came up with this plan, but she literally puts Moses in a basket and sends the basket down a river. And the basket passes in front of Pharaoh's daughter who's taking a bath. And Pharaoh's daughter's assistants go down. There's a basket in the water. And they look in the basket. And there's a baby in the basket. And they bring the baby back. And it's, it's a Hebrew baby. They can tell. It's not. doesn't have that Egyptian skin. It's definitely not an Egyptian. It's a Hebrew baby. And they pull the baby out. And the Pharaoh's daughter asks if she can raise the baby. And she's given approval. And if you think about it, she may have been the only person in that entire nation who would have been given approval to raise a Hebrew baby, a male Hebrew baby. So Moses actually grows up in Pharaoh's house. So he knows the intricacies of Pharaoh's house and how it works and the political ways of moving and shaking in Pharaoh's house. He grows up. He kills an Egyptian slave master who is abusing Hebrew slaves. And word gets out. He thought it was a secret, but word gets out. And his life begins to be threatened. So he actually flees Egypt. He goes to a place called Midian for 40 years. Gets married. He's there for 40 years. And maybe you've heard this part of the story with Moses. But in a burning bush... God speaks to Moses and says, Moses, I want you to go back and I want you to go free all of your people from slavery in Egypt. And next week, we're going to talk specifically about that burning bush and that story in the book of Exodus. He goes back and, and through Moses, God leads all of his people, the Hebrew people, out of slavery, out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, into the desert for a long while, to the brink of entering the promised land, and Moses is the guy the whole time. 
So that's obviously an incredibly high flyover view of this person, this story of Moses. That's the book of Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, basically summarized shortly. What I want to do now is I want to show you four different roles, four different things that the Hebrew people would have said if you'd asked them, hey, tell us about Moses. What role did Moses play for your people? Here's the four different roles that Moses played in these books. Number one, Moses provided redemption for his people. So like I said, Israel was oppressed. They were captives. They were slaves. When they would ask for better working conditions, the Pharaoh would make things harder on them. Held captive against their will for 400 years. Nobody, apparently, over 400 years, nobody had the ability or the courage or the calling to go and try to lead the Israelites out. Nobody who had been there, or excuse me, nobody that Moses led out of Egypt had ever experienced freedom, ever. They didn't even know what that felt like. And I'm trying to imagine that there probably were some groups of people that tried to come up with ways to escape the bondage of Egypt, but it never came to fruition. It didn't happen until God called Moses to go and do it. And Moses leads them to freedom. Moses goes back and, and there's 10 plagues that God sends on Israel. And finally, after the 10th one, after saying, Pharaoh, let my people go, Pharaoh finally relents and he finally lets people go. And they go and they walk through the Red Sea on dry land. Moses, maybe you've watched the Prince of Egypt. He raises his staff and the water parts, and they walk through on dry land. Two million of them walk through, and, and Pharaoh had a change of heart at the last second. He, rather than saying, you know, be free, he says, be free, and he goes, no, wait, I changed my mind, and he tells all of his people, I've changed my mind, go get him. And when they're, hunt, when they're going after him, and they go, wow, this is amazing. The Red Sea is split, and they're walking through on dry land. They start going through, and the water comes together, and Pharaoh's chasers are destroyed. It's an amazing story. In Exodus 14, it, it summarizes it with this. It says, The Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on the right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel by the hands of the Egyptians. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. And so freedom, salvation, redemption. Moses led the charge. Number two, Moses was the mediator between God and his people. In Egypt, they had a lot of gods. They, they thought Pharaoh was a god. They thought the Nile River was a god. They had hundreds of gods. And how they interacted with these gods was uh, unusual, to say the least. But the Hebrew people... They believed in one God, in Yahweh. But after being slaves for 400 years, they probably wondered, where is he and does he care about us at all? Because their experience with Yahweh, God, providing good things for them has just been stories that have been passed down from their grandparents to their parents to them. They've got to be wondering, will we ever be free? Does God care about us at all? And Moses becomes this mediator 
between God and his people. When they're in the desert, after they cross the Red Sea, it is Moses that goes up and he's on Mount Sinai for a long period of time. And God is sharing with Moses what to share with the people. And Moses would come down the mountain and say, this is what God says. And the people would say, well, go ask God this question. And Moses would go back up to Mount Sinai, and he would be the one relaying messages from the people to God. In in other words, not only was he the mediator between God and his people, but Moses was kind of the bridge so that the people could have a relationship with Yahweh. Moses was the one that was communicating between the two. This is the other role that Moses played. And if you want to read a lot more about that, You could read in Exodus chapter 19 about Moses being the mediator between God and his people. Number three, Moses showed his people how to follow God. So when the people get out into the desert, they are going, man, God has saved us, and we are really thankful for that. How do we kind of repay? How do we follow? What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to show God that we love him and want to follow him? And Moses reveals the law to the people, and essentially says, this is how you do it. And really, there's, there's kind of two big pieces to following God at this point in history in the Bible. The first is to follow the law, which includes those Ten Commandments that you may have heard of, of don't murder and don't steal, and my favorite one, obey your parents. And he says, it's not only just those ten, but there's also hundreds of other laws. And if you going to get into Leviticus and you want to read about it, there are some pretty weird ones. Like it, it includes the different, you know, they're not allowed to wear certain clothes that have mixtures of certain fabrics, or there's rules about how to punish burglars, or there's rules about, you know, which seeds that you can plant together in a, in a vegetable garden. Like it is kind of funny. And then I thought about it. We read that and I kind of judge, <laughs> I kind of, I guess I'm judging God. Like, God, did you really have to say that? And, and then I think, well, when those people look at us and they go, if, if they heard about some of the laws that we have now, they would probably think that we were pretty weird. Like why, when they see that we have a law that says you can't go 70 miles an hour, over 70 miles an hour, they must have been like, that is impossible. Like I don't, there are no camels that can run that fast. Like there's... When they, when they hear, these are some other laws that I, I found out this week. It's illegal to wash your neighbor's car in L.A. without permission. It's illegal to drive a car in reverse on a public road in Arizona. Think about that for a second. And you're not allowed to drive a black car in Denver on a Sunday. That is a law. And so they aren't the only gang that had some funny laws. We also have some, too. They were asked to prove their love to Yahweh by obeying all of these laws. And then on top of that, Moses said it's not only just laws that you need to follow to show God that you love him. You also need to offer different sacrifices. There's this this sacrifice system that Moses brought into play. And there were five different kinds of sacrifices. The first one were, were burnt offerings. And that's where somebody would come with an animal, and everybody had to do it. If you wanted to go and worship in the tabernacle, if you wanted to go and worship with God, then you had to offer a burnt offering as kind of your ticket in. And that was 
That was the first one. The second one was a grain offering where people would come and bring a portion of what they have grown. There's no animals involved in this one. What they have grown, and they would actually burn a portion of what they have grown. And I imagine when they heard about that one, they thought, this doesn't make any sense. Who is this helping? If we're killing our animals and if we're giving up our harvest, why, why, why would you ask us to do this, God? And it was God's way of saying, this is one way that I want you to prove that you trust me, and I will prove that I am trustworthy. Just give me a chance. The third one was what was called a peace offering. And this one was also an animal, and they would bring this one in, and they would sacrifice an animal, a cow, or a sheep, or a goat, or something like that. But in this peace offering, there actually became a meal out of it. They would eat whatever the sacrifice was, and it was always shared with other people. And so the peace offering was not just about having peace with God, but it was about having peace with other people. You were supposed to go and reconcile relationships before you made a peace offering. Once again, God showing his people that it's not, that, that following God a lot of times requires you to be in a family, in a group, in a church, in a community group. It's not this solo mission. It's a group thing. And then the last two are, are the sin and guilt offerings. And, and you only gave those you only gave a sin or a guilt offering if you were humble enough to acknowledge that you needed to. Everybody had to do the other ones, but you only brought a sin and a guilt offering if you were going to come before God and essentially acknowledge, I'm not perfect. I have sinned. I have broken a law. I have spoken against a person. I have lusted after a person. I have been greedy. I have been selfish. And you would come and, and you would essentially say, my relationship with God needs repaired. And, and when you presented a sin offering or a guilt offering, you were not only confessing the sins that you know that you committed, but you're also confessing the fact that you probably sinned in other ways that you're not thinking about right now. The unknown and the known sins the intentional and the unintentional, the conscious and the subconscious. If you brought a, 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 a guilt and sin offering, this was an attempt to repair this impaired relationship with God. And, and Moses lays this out. And if you want to read all about that, Leviticus chapter 1 through 7, it describes them all in great detail and how they worked. Number four, Moses gave his people hope for a future. Because for 400 years, they had no hope. They were locked up, and they had no power. They had no advantage. They had no way out. They, they, their idea was to, let's just have children, make it work, live this life, pass it on, hope for the best for them. There's no hope. It's just not in the cards for us to be free. And Moses is the one that leads them to a place of hope. Because if you remember, I've been talking a lot about Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. That's books 2, 3, 4, and 5. If you remember in the book of Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible, there's a guy named Abraham. And Abraham is the, is the first 
Hebrew, the first Israelite, the first Jew, he's the one that was given a promise in Genesis chapter 12. God said to Abraham, I'm going to make you, Abraham, into a great nation. The descendants, they're going to be more numerable than the stars in the sky, and I'm going to give you this land. This land that I'm moving you to is going to be yours. And that land in the Bible is called the promised land. It's actually where the nation of Israel is today. It's the same spot. Remember 12 minutes ago when I told you that Joseph moved to Egypt with 70 of his family members? They were actually in the promised land. They were there. And they moved to Egypt to get some food, and then this whole thing happened. And now, 400 and some years later, Moses is bringing them back around, back to the brink of the promised land. And so they have hope that their children might enjoy the promised land. This was not in the cards a couple days ago for them. And now all of a sudden, Moses has brought them hope for a future. So Moses provided redemption for his people. He was a mediator between God and his people. Moses showed his people how to follow God. And Moses gave his people hope for a future. Now remember what I told you a couple minutes ago, that Moses said something in a sermon at the end of his life that made the people go, wait a minute, what did Moses just say? And this is what he said in Deuteronomy 18, 15. Adam, you can go two slides ahead. The Lord your God, this is what he said to the people. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. He said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. And at the time, if you were an Israelite, if you were a Hebrew and you had been following Moses for all of these years, he was the guy that was going up Mount Sinai talking to God. And Moses comes down and goes, listen, there's going to be another prophet that God is going to raise up. You must listen to him. The people would have been scratching their heads and going, bigger than you, Moses? Bigger than you? Better than you? And Moses is going, you've got to listen to him. There's another prophet that's coming. I have been big in your eyes, but I am not big enough. I have been a good leader in your eyes. I am not good enough. Moses is acknowledging his humanity, his sinfulness, in this speech that he gives to the people. And he says, there's another one coming. And the people must have just been like, I can't even imagine someone being more important than Moses to us. And this is 1,200 years before Jesus Christ comes to the earth. And when Moses writes that, when he said that line to those people and they wrote it down, that's who he was referring to. He was referring to Jesus Christ. You see how every story in the Old Testament whispers his name. Because if you look at the list, go back to the list. If you look at the list, Moses provides redemption for his people. Moses was the mediator between God and his people. Moses showed people what it looks like to follow God. And Moses provides hope for a future. That is exactly what Jesus Christ does for us today. It is those four roles— 
that Jesus does for us today. And so when you read this Old Testament story about Moses, it's a, it, it is fun to read it and just imagine it. But if you can see a little bit deeper the roles that Moses played, you go, man, every story, it, it's almost as if Moses was a, a precursor or a hint of what Jesus would do, but that Jesus would do in full. Moses just did it to a point. Let me explain. So the first one, Moses provides redemption for his people. That's what Jesus does for us. Moses provided physical freedom from Egypt, and they were pumped about that. They were pumped. But he could not save them from their sinful hearts. In other words, Moses was able to save them from outside enemies, but he was not able to save them from their inside enemies. And I talked to enough people, both in our world and in our church, to know that from time to time, we would actually rather have someone save us from our outside enemies rather than our inside enemy. We look at the giants of debt or divorce or depression and say, God, if you could just change those things that are affecting me. We, we think of, to keep with the Moses theme, the pharaohs of bad bosses or bad marriages or low self-esteem and go, God, if you, could just, if you could just help us just get rid of those. Like we, we want somebody to help us like Moses helped the Israelites. But the reality is, is that the greatest enemy we face is not outside of us. It is inside of us. It is a sinful nature. All, all of those things that we want to be fixed outside of us cannot change the inside of us. Only, only Jesus Christ can change the inside of us. And as I was, uh, I was thinking about how to try to explain how important that is, this is what came to mind. When we read about Moses, and you, if you read Exodus, your jaw would be on the ground if you really thought about what happened and what these people experienced. I mean, he, he put up his staff and the water parted and then the people were hungry, and manna and quail, bread and birds, starts essentially falling from the sky. When they're thirsty, Moses strikes a rock, and water begins to flow out of the rock, and the people are able to drink and not die in the desert. And you go, <laughs> wow, like can you, how much money would you pay to be there to see that? I, I mean, the tickets if it was actually possible to see the Red Sea split, how much would the tickets go for to see that? And yet, and yet, a miracle that is bigger than all of those is the fact that my sins are wiped away. That is a bigger miracle than any miracle that happened because of Moses with the Israelites. Because all of those were kind of temporary fixes to some extent. And if you think about it, every one of the miracles that God did through Moses at that time, mankind, if they put their brains and hands together long enough and thought hard enough, they could probably figure out a way to do something like it. Man could build a bridge over the Red Sea, and man could build a dam that kind of holds up the water on both sides. Man could figure that out. 
And man, they could have figured out a way to hunt quail and to make bread and eat. They, if you gave them enough time and enough resources, they could have figured that out. If, if they knew at the time that you could dig down and find water, they probably did know at the time. I don't know where they were, and I don't know how long it would have taken, but man could have figured out a way to dig deep enough to dig a well and find water and drink. Man could have solved those problems if you'd given him enough time. But no person can save me from my sins. No, nobody can do that other than Jesus Christ himself. And so because of that, because it is un... No, no person can do it. It is a bigger miracle. It's a bigger, bigger miracle than all of them combined. Number two, Moses was the mediator between God and his people. 1 Timothy 2.5 in the New Testament says this, that there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, and that man is Jesus Christ. He is the one that provides a way for us to commune with God. Because, like I just explained, God kind of has a problem with us. Because we are sinful, and we're bent to rebel, and we do things that don't honor Him. And so there's a gap between—because He's perfect, and He's just, and so there's a gap. So somebody needed to bridge the gap, and that person is Jesus Christ. And I think about it this way. Imagine being in court, and imagine being on trial— you're the one that is on trial for committing some kind of crime. And the other lawyers, the lawyers that are against you, they begin to display the evidence. They have you on camera. They have all of your fingerprints. They have your DNA. They have other people witnessing saying that they saw you do it. It is a slam dunk case for those that are accusing you. And you know you're guilty. But it is as though Jesus is your defense attorney. And Jesus Christ goes to the judge who is God the Father. And he says to the judge, I know that my client is guilty. There's really no question about that. But the sentence has already been served and the price has already been paid. And I'm asking you to let him go for free. And God, who is just, God, who is just, has to ask the question and make sure, has the sentence been served? The answer is yes. Has the price been paid? The answer is yes. Then in that case, your client is free to go. And that is the role, the mediator, the defense attorney that Jesus Christ plays for us, that he goes before the judge and he says, they're not perfect but because of what I've done and because the sentence has been served and the price has been paid by me, will you let them go free? And he says, let them go free. The price has been paid. Another role that Jesus plays between God and us. Number three, Moses showed people how to love God. He gives them the law, right? He says, this is how you do it. This is the sacrificial system. These are the rules that you have to follow. And they stink at it. They're terrible at it for like a thousand years. They cannot do it. They start out hot and then they give up. Has that ever happened to anybody else with a New Year's resolution that you made? 
They, they get after it at first, and then they lose momentum. They lose motivation. And they begin to fall and fail again and again and again. The whole Old Testament is a story of the Israelites falling and failing and not being able to uphold the law. And so they ask Jesus, Jesus, can you just get rid of this for us? Can you abolish the law? Can we not have to follow these rules anymore? And Jesus says to them, I'm not going to get rid of it. However, I am going to fulfill it. So imagine if the Old Testament law for these thousands of years had said every Hebrew has to run three miles every day. That's how you show you love God. And the Israelites start out great. They start running three miles a day, day one, day two. Day three, they have shin splints or some reason, some excuse as to why they can't run three miles. So they just run two and they hope that works. But then day four, they stop and they say they're going to start the next Monday, but they don't. And so they just failed again. And they're essentially asking Jesus, Jesus, can we get rid of this three miles a day thing? And Jesus essentially says to them, we're not going to get rid of the idea of running three miles a day because God is just and, and he, he doesn't change. But here's what we're going to do instead. I'm essentially going to run them all for you. I'm going to run all of them for you. And because of the great sin that plagues American Christianity, the sin of self-sufficiency, a lot of us go, well, I don't want somebody to do that for me. I want to do it myself. I want to earn this. I want to show God that I love him. I'm going to show up to church. I'm going to give some of my money. I'm going to go to community group. And I'm going to serve on the First Impressions team. And, and God's going to love me because I followed the American Christian rules. And the reality is, is that Jesus was changing it. He was changing how it's done. He was saying, rather than trying to follow all the rules, you just have to follow me. You just have to try to live your life like me and accept the fact, which might be the hardest one to do, accept the fact that I'm going to run the three miles in your place every day. You have to receive what I have done for you if you really want to love God. Jesus said, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus said. It wasn't through rules. It was through him. And so not only does he change the way that the law works, but he also changes the whole sacrifice system, right? Rather than having, you and I, we don't do grain offerings. We don't do peace offerings. We don't even own goats. So how would we, how would we keep up with that system? This system of bringing these burnt off every time, if, if Jesus didn't change it, every time you came to church, you'd have to sacrifice an animal in the courtyard. I don't think the middle school would allow these things. You'd have to bring that in, and then you'd have to sacrifice some of your vegetables that you've grown this summer. And then you'd have to sacrifice other animals so that you have meals with people. And then every time you sin, every time you sin and you feel guilt and shame over that sin, you have to sacrifice another animal. And Jesus says, how about this? How about I will go to the cross and I will be the final sacrifice so that you never have to make a sacrifice again. If you believe in me and what I've done, it says Christ died for sins once for all the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. And so Jesus says, we're done with the sacrifice system. I am the final lamb that needs to be sacrificed. And so I don't, I, I'm actually, I'm saying this not flippantly, 
but rather because of what Jesus did for us, rather than sacrificing animals in the courtyard, after church, we're going to eat Donato's pizza. And we're going to do that because of the freedom that we have in Christ, that we don't have to jump through all of these hoops to be with God. Rather, we get to be with God and enjoy being with him and with one another rather than following the rules. Here's the last one. Moses gave his people hope for a future. And so these people are out in the desert. They're hungry, they're thirsty, they're tired, but they have hope. They're not in slavery anymore. They have hope. And they kind of waver back and forth between how much they love Moses because they get tired of being in the desert for a long time. But deep in their gut, they have hope. And they stay the course. And they get to the edge of the promised land. And when they go into the promised land, when they finally break through, Moses actually doesn't get to go with them. But when Moses passes the baton to Joshua and Joshua leads them in and they get into the promised land, guess what? There's still poison ivy and there are still earthquakes and there are still tornadoes and there are, there's still cancer and there's still sickness and there's still mosquitoes and everything that is broken about the earth, it's in the promised land too. And so to some extent, while yes, Moses does lead them to this promised land, this promised land is not a place that you want to be for eternity. That, that's some of the interactions that I'm having with people right now. I'm, I'm in my mid-30s and I'm talking with people as we're, that are also in our mid-30s and we're, we're, our kids are starting to get into school and we're just, we're scared about what the next 30 to 40 years look like. It'd almost be, it'd almost be better if we could just fast forward through this broken world. Because it hurts and growing old isn't for cowards. And my parents, my parents are going to die one day. And so are yours. And our kids are going to be picked on and friends are going to get sick and people are going to have car accidents. And it's like, man, living in this broken world stinks. And Moses, in leading them to the promised land, was leading them to something better. They did have hope in it, but it was temporary and it still was broken. But Jesus does them one better. Jesus provides hope for me, for my future, because I know that by putting my faith in Jesus Christ, when my life is over, I have a, another promised land that awaits me. I believe that God is preparing a place for me, one that doesn't have poison ivy, one that doesn't have cancer, one that doesn't have tears or pain or addiction or depression or anxiety or whatever else you're facing that isn't great in your life, this promised land that I'm talking about, heaven, doesn't have any of it. It is a perfect paradise under the power of God. And evil doesn't exist there. And that is a promise that I hold on to. It's the hope that I have in this life. And so you see, if you zoom out, yes, way to go, Moses. But all your solutions were temporary and they all were on the earth. But what Jesus does is he takes them all and he says, hey, what Moses did for you, that was a glimpse 
It was a glimpse. It was a hint of what I actually want to do for you for eternity. Yes, Moses could free you from Egypt, but he couldn't save you from your sins. But I can. And yes, Moses was the way that you were going to communicate with God. He was kind of running up and down the mountain doing that. But now through me, you can communicate anytime you want. You can pray in my name to God the Father forever. You can do that through Jesus. Jesus said, or Moses was going, okay, this is how you follow God. These are the rules you have to follow. Jesus comes on and says, listen, I'm going to go ahead and fulfill that for you. You just follow me. We'll do this forever. And Moses says, you can have hope. I'll lead you to the promised land. And he does. But that was a temporary solution. Jesus says, you can have hope. I can take you to a promised land called heaven and it never ends. And so you see at the end of this story that every story, including Moses, it whispers the name of Jesus Christ. And so when we sing, Christ be magnified, that is appropriate. It's not appropriate for us to say, Moses be magnified. If we tried to sing that song, Moses would turn over in his grave. He would just, he couldn't even imagine singing about him because he knows, even Moses knew, that his whole story was a precursor to this person of Jesus, this next prophet. You should listen to him. When Moses died, that was it. But when Jesus died, that wasn't it. That was the beginning of life for us forever through faith in Jesus and his resurrection. So here's how I want to end. I'm just going to put this one slide up there. And I just want you to read it and reread it and think about it. And then ask yourself the question, are you allowing Jesus to do these things in your life? Have you let him redeem you? Are you letting him currently redeem you? Because I talk to a lot of people who have been saved and who say, yes, Jesus forgave my sins, but they still live underneath this guilt and shame because of some more recent mistakes. Have you let Jesus, are you letting him redeem you? Do you believe that he's the mediator? Do you believe that in the next two or three minutes that you can actually go to God, Yahweh, directly through Jesus, that he is your defense attorney, that the price has been paid and you can go straight to God. Are you following him? It's not a list of rules, it's about a relationship and it's not because of law, it's because of love. Are you following him? And then last, do you have hope? When's the last time you thought about heaven for 90 seconds in a row? That is the hope that will get us through this broken world. It is the hope of heaven. And so for three minutes, Brandon and Austin are going to lead another song in a minute. But for three minutes, I just want to read that. And maybe one of those jumps off the page is one thing that God wanted to say or remind you of today. And I hope that you have a special time with it. If anybody would like to pray, we have a prayer team in the back. Looks like there's a couple people already there. I'll be back there too. 
and we would love the chance to pray with you either during this time or during the last song as well. Thanks for listening to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, to give online, or to attend a service, visit threecreekschurch.com. Thank you.